Welcome to the Straw Hat Social Club. Uh, I'm going to be really struggling to keep the energy up this week because we've had a lot happen recently. I uh, fractured my rib last week doing something stupid on vacation. Yep, so this might be a little tricky to record. I think we already noticed my voice seems to be a little different. Um, I guess that's tied to the injury. But we got a big episode this week because we're finally going to Arlong Park. Uh, which covers episodes 31 through 44 of the One Piece anime and chapters 69 through 95 of the manga. As always, uh, I'm Todd. I'm your One Piece expert, which is a made-up title. It just means I've read the manga. And I'm joined by someone who's completely new to One Piece, the lovely and talented Becca. Hi. And you really (laughs) don't sound too different. Yeah. But... You're healing. <laughs> True. Yeah, so we're going to try our best getting through this one uh, before I have to lay down. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is a, a really big episode because Arlong Park is traditionally seen as like the first major arc in the series that um, I think this is kind of like the make or break moment for most people when they decide whether they are on board the One Piece train or not. I can say I definitely, when I was first reading it, this was definitely the point where I I was like committed and I was totally into the series. I don't know how you felt because I know I built it up a lot uh, beforehand. I can, I guess I can save that for the end episode on this. Uh, I'll get into it then, but... I well, I mean, how about, like, going into this? Like, especially with oh, me, no. like, like teasing and everything. Well, what were your expectations like? I mean, I knew you said you wanted me to, to go up to this episode. But I was already... I mean, after Barati, I'm fully yeah. committed <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and it was definitely watching it again. Something I'm definitely going to go into in this episode is just... Oda's his storytelling and the way he moves like the pieces around on the board for everything to make sense and flow and everything it's it's like super well executed and especially going through with like a fine tooth comb it just it's really obvious how good he is at like managing all these different characters and plots and everything and having it all converge at the end but we'll go into more detail with the episode. This is a very Nami-centric arc. You know, certain arcs we get a real focus on certain characters and their backstories. This is the one where we really dive into Nami's backstory, and I think it's when most people really appreciate that character. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I already was a Nami <clears throat> stan the minute she popped on screen, so yeah. I loved her already. I mean, watching her backstory like develop more and then you know how she interacts with the crew and everything yeah that makes me love her even more so i could definitely agree i can take that. a whole whole arc on nami <laughs> yeah. i can do that i mean that's kind of what we get here but before we get into it i did feel like this is a appropriate place for us to talk a little bit about shonen like as a genre because we talked about shoujo a little bit with our sailor moon episode you know that's the genre that's traditionally made for adolescent girls in Japan and shonen is like the boy version of that. What is interesting about shonen stuff is that it has become such a broad classification that not only applies to just so many different books and series and whatnot, it also just like the, the intricacies of what makes something shonen 
have grown so much over time. And I think it's important to talk about a little bit, you know, as you know, you're somebody who still getting, you know, into anime and everything, like not as uh, steeped in the, the weeb culture. Yeah, you that, know? That's fair to say. I'm <clears throat> all here to learn about, you know, anime as a whole. Too. Yeah. But shonen is actually, it's considered like the most popular category on the Japanese market. And it mostly focuses on like action, adventure, fighting. But like I said, it's it's very broad and it can even include like a lot of sporty like slice of life and like all kinds of stuff like that. And I was even reading that like it's 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 really more robust and wide reaching than you might even think because there's like a lot of uh, uh, a big female audience that gets very into like uh, homoerotic subtext between male characters and stuff like nice. that. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it really ap- appeals to uh, kind of everybody. But the the ones that I really wanted to focus on because they apply to One Piece, one is is protagonists usually have contradictory qualities, which definitely applies to Luffy because he is, you know, very aloof and perceived as being kind of unintelligent. But at the same time, he is like completely unshakable and inspiring to like everyone around him. When you kind of look at at it that way, a lot of shonen, you can see those kind of contradictory qualities in the main character that just works for whatever. I don't know if people like relate to that more because people are multifaceted, you know? But the other big thing is with shonen, since it, it tends to be really focused on fighting, a lot of times it centers around fighting like stronger and stronger opponents with a system to gauge like power levels and power scaling. This is like a whole side of the anime fan base that um, it feels like it goes a little deeper than I want to go. Okay, what is power scaling? Yeah, uh, see, that's the okay. thing. It, it tends to be like people who, uh, I guess the, the, the big place it goes is people saying like, oh, who would win between Luffy and Goku? You know, it's like that kind of like, like gauging people's power levels and stuff. And uh, there's like, there's whole sets of terminology around all this. I think it's like exhausting. Like I can't, (laughs) I can't get into that stuff. But One Piece does have a bit of that because the way, the way it works in One Piece is with the bounties, which we haven't really gotten into. So we'll talk more about those systems later, but it's ways of applying like numbers that can immediately tell you like oh this is the strength level of this character you know what i mean and there's there's a lot that can be built off of that but again there there is a specific arc later that really goes into this so we're gonna like really unpack it then but one piece it just it has a lot of the like stereotypical shonen stuff and you could probably say it it helped to codify some of that because one piece it's not like it was the original but it was definitely one of the early ones. That's shown in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to touch on real quick. Sure. In this arc is really, I think, where I started to appreciate even more Oda's character design because yeah. it's so, like, it's chaotic in, like, the best way and unpredictable in the best way. Totally. I mean, starting with, like, our boy Kobe in the pink hair and Helmeppo and... Uh, Captain Morgan, you know, there's all these like goofy ass designs, but we we talked about it a little bit then, but definitely he has 
this way of of creating it's almost like this random character generator (laughs) and they're so silly and goofy but they're so like unique and recognizable at the same time and yeah that definitely i mean it pops up in like every arc but there's definitely a lot of that in this arc too I I think as an artist, that's what draws me more and more to each episode is like, what am I going to get next? Because it's it's a distinct style, but it's also like it's he's always got something up his sleeve. So I just find that like really interesting. And when we get into this arc, I feel like it really starts to show even more. So I'm really excited to get Mm. into it. Yeah. So with that, why don't we get into it because this is a a really big arc like i said it's the first major arc and we'll kind of define what that means in the end but we are going to be cutting this into two episodes because there's a lot to cover and you don't want to like rush and skimp anything when it comes to arlong park so let's get started so (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's just, it's so hard when you're talking and then there's a scratching sound. So, when this arc begins, we have Luffy, Sanji, and Yusaku, who are sailing in pursuit of Nami, who um, had previously disappeared. She stole the merry-go, and they had determined where she was going, that she was heading for Arlong Park. And so they're going in pursuit. So we get a little exposition in the beginning, um, courtesy of Yusaku, who's kind of setting everybody up for what's to come. So we get introduced to actually a few different things here. One is, of course, the the fishmen, because the person that they're they're going after here is named Arlong, who is this like feared fishman, who's probably the strongest person in the East Blue now that Krieg's been defeated. Although let's be real, I don't think. Creed could have stood toe-to-toe against Arlong. But it does introduce us to this this concept of this this race called the Fishmen. I don't remember what your uh, impressions were when you first started hearing about this. Did you just think it was going to be like mermaids and shit? Yes. Honestly, yeah. I, d- I did think it was going to be like mermaids. And <clears throat> the way the Fishmen are portrayed, mm-hmm. I was not expecting. But yeah. I still loved it. Well, there is even that joke when he starts talking about the fishmen. Luffy's like drawing like like this, <laughs> and it's like all these goofy, you know, little pictures. But the fishmen in this world, I think this is one of the only like, you know, fantasy kind of races in One Piece, and they're just people who are like part man, part fish, who have like all the strengths of of like physically, they're way stronger than human beings, and. They're able to exist in the ocean thanks to their gills and their ability to swim really well. And it's, it feels like they're almost like this antithesis to uh, the devil fruits. Because the devil fruits give you these, these special powers, but then you're uh, completely vulnerable in the water. Whereas the fishmen excel in the water and just innately have you know all this strength and power. But it is worth pointing out Again, to talk about four kids and the edits that happened there, I thought I had to mention this because it's so fucking funny. But apparently in four kids, the the racism that Arlong expresses towards humans is like really toned down. And instead he says that he hates humans because they stink. And he calls them pew-mans, uh, which is like, of course, like this is just such a funny 
way that to twist funny. that. I'm going to start using that <laughs> on some humans that are a little stinky. What, what also is a little more awkward, though, is that apparently they added, like, a gurgling effect whenever they talk to really <laughs> sell, like, they are fish people, uh, which is just goofy as hell. But, yeah, so after being explained, you know, the whole fishman thing, we, we get, like, this uh, introduction to the seven warlords of the sea, which is, like, a big concept that might have been mentioned before this. I don't remember, but this is when they really give us the exposition that... You know, the seven warlords are these pirates that are basically working for the government. I'm trying to remember how they explain them right now. Well, while you're remembering that, I think the idea of having seven warlords of the sea is such a cool concept. Yeah. And, like, my mind just goes crazy with ideas of what they could be. Oh, yeah. It definitely, it helps to to establish that, like, there are these really strong, really crazy characters out there. And you're wondering, like, what do they look like and all that stuff. And we were introduced to one, I don't know if you called this, but Hawkeye is one of the seven warlords, which also sets up, like, the level of uh, strength that they possess. Because we already saw that Hawkeye is, like, on this whole other level. So you have to imagine if all the seven warlords are on that level, like, the Straw Hats are nowhere near that point you know yeah and hawkeye is just so cool it wasn't even like oh look at this yeah. annoying boss coming up it he's just oh, such yeah. a cool character that makes me even more excited of like what is the character design for all of these seven warlords yeah and and he's very distinct like his look his style everything is very distinct um and we also get mentioned this is something that really doesn't play into things until way later but it's worth mentioning he brings up someone named Jinbei, who is one of the seven warlords of the sea. He's a fish man, and he has a relationship with Arlong. Like, they work together. So we've already been hinted at this, uh, this fish man character who's a seven warlord, one of the seven warlords living in uh, the Grand Line. But the seven warlords, I guess, I don't think they really go into it here, but it doesn't really spoil things to explain, just to give you some background. But the idea is that basically, you know, this is an era where pirates are kind of running wild. So the government, their whole plan to try and keep things in check is by recruiting these incredibly strong pirates, giving them territory where they kind of have free room to do whatever they want. And they in turn prey on like the smaller pirates to keep them in check and keep everything from going out of control. So there's like there's a lot to be said. I'm sure we'll talk about this more in depth later. But I think that is like a really interesting system that the seven warlords are given kind of protection, like the government isn't going to go after them in exchange for them basically being like lapdogs of the government and maintaining this kind of order. Definitely a lot to comment on there. But yeah, like I said, we can go into it later once we are introduced to more of the seven warlords and those systems. So yeah, they're having this nice little exposition conversation while Sanji cooks them up some food and, you know, reminds us why it's important to have a cook when you're on the sea instead of just starving all the time. As they're making their way to Arlong Park, we get a look at uh, Nami, who finally arrives there. And what what were you thinking about Arlong Park itself? Because I think it has a really cool design, like the big Japanese architecture that you see, like, looming in the background. Right, yeah. 
I I mean, it the design is great, and the way that they introduce the design of the village, like through the story, is really nice too. But it is interesting because when uh, when Nami arrives, um, there's basically like some child who shows up at Arlong Park, like ready to fight them all, and Nami kind of rolls up. And we get a moment that like kind of hints at where things are going with her character because she doesn't show any sympathy. I think she like whacks him with her stick and just tells him to get the hell out of here. It's like very cold toward him. That maybe hints at like there's something going on with with Nami's character that uh, maybe we haven't been aware of up till now. I will say that with Nami's character seeming so aggressive in the beginning of this, I. I guess I just like always had faith that she had a reason. Yeah. And I think I keep that mindset throughout this, like watching this whole thing is like, she has to have a reason for acting like this. It isn't, this isn't who she is. Right. So, yeah, I think I had that idea too when I was reading it, but part of it's cause she just, she'd already been through so much with the straw hats and you'd seen like those little moments with her. Um, you know, there's, there seems to be something going on here, but it's hard to believe that she's actually like turning on them or anything. But at this moment, this is when we get introduced to Arlong himself because he is meeting with uh, Nizumi, the uh, Navy captain, or whatever his title is. So Arlong himself, he, like I said, he's a fishman, but he's specifically like a sawtooth shark fishman. What were your impressions of his, his character first? Cause he's like, I think they do a good job where he's kind of silly looking in a way just like all Voda's designs but at the same time he feels like very menacing yeah so his character design i think fits exactly what you're about to like perceive about this person like he's very good at finding out how to illustrate like an aggressive person and like seeing them on like in front of you and you're like okay that person's going to be aggressive yeah uh but i think like you said like it's still silly yeah. But it still gets the point across. He looks dangerous. Yeah. But how did you feel about uh, Nizumi, uh, by comparison? The little mouse Navy guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> He's so funny. That is such a fun idea, and I, yeah. I love it so much. Like, I just... Uh, he's a cat person? Mouse person? Mouse, mouse, that's mouse. part of what's funny. I looked it up. I think Nizumi just means mouse okay. in Japanese, so that would be the equivalent of... Just if we made a Navy guy whose name was Mouse and just everything about him was like a mouse. I think like that's, that's what it is. That is exactly how every Navy Marine person should dress. They yeah. should they should look like a little mouse. And I think it would I think it would sell pretty well for the Navy. Well, I think the, his designs, especially when it comes to like the Navy people, it does seem to be like he takes one idea and it's like this is going to be their whole personality. <laughs> so for him, it's like mouse. Yeah, I mean that's A plus character design, so Yeah. I mean he's pretty he's pretty funny. He even has like a little mousy laugh. <laughs> right. And everything. But they seem to have this um unusual relationship. It's almost like so I'll say when I was reading it and I was kind of taking in all that exposition, I thought that Arlong was one of the seven warlords of the sea, because they introduce it like right before this, and then you see they have this deal where he is kicking back money to Nizumi and Nizumi's like looking the other way. So I was like totally thinking, oh, this is the seven warlord system, but he's not one of the seven warlords. 
this is like a whole separate thing. And really, I mean, he's not on the level of one of the seven warlords, you know? No, but I, I could totally see it. Yeah. I, I could definitely see it, the way his character is designed, and, you know, it's like badass character design and everything, and the corruption. Yeah, and it, it also introduces that Arlong, well, Nizumi as well, but Arlong seems to really value money and presents himself as someone who will never um, go back on a deal that concerns money, which becomes important later. When he's, you know, and that's that's also why he's kind of buddy-buddy with Nizumi, because he mentions how he seems to have this severe uh, hatred toward humans, but it's like any humans who value money the way he does, I guess it's like this common language, you know, that allows him to connect. So he's actually pretty chummy with Nizumi, but Nizumi's like in a, in a rush to get out of there because he thinks it's not good for a Navy captain to be seen, you know, chumming it up like this. But it also is like a big glimpse at how corrupt certain elements of the Navy are. Because we've already, we talked in the past about the kind of moral grayness in One Piece that, you know, not all pirates are bad, not all of them are good. And the Navy is the same thing. They're not all good. They're not all bad. This guy definitely seems to be one of the worst ones, though. But uh, yeah, as Nozumi leaves, this is when Nami... She reunites with the uh, Arlong pirates, and this is when it becomes clear that Nami is actually one of them, and she has been this whole time. But before we get into too much, it's at this moment, though, when Johnny, Usopp, and Zoro show up on a separate boat, because everyone is still kind of split up at this point, and they actually see the Marigo docked kind of far away from Arlong Park, so they're immediately heading over there to get to it. And this is when they notice that uh, there's some fishmen like on the shore. It's fun. This is this is a pretty funny moment because they're kind of like Usopp and Johnny, who are like not the, the bravest people, you know, are kind of discussing what to do. And it cuts to Zoro, who's just like, all right, charge right in, you know, just like <laughs> ready to go. And so they have to knock him out and like tie him up to the mast. Um, <laughs> But as they're heading over there, they get noticed by the fishermen on the shore. And Usopp and Johnny are just immediately like, oh, Zora, it's been so nice knowing you. Like, it's so sad, but we got to go. So they just split and leave Zoro behind tied up to the mast. So Zoro winds up becoming captured by the fishermen and taken to Arlong Park. And before we get back to Arlong Park, Johnny and Usopp, they, they swim the, to the shore and they wind up in the town of Gosa which I think had been kind of alluded at that this was a town that had recently been destroyed by Arlong and his men. And when they roll up in there, they see that all the houses are like upside down. You know, like that's their way of showing like they really fucked this place up. Because yeah. as soon as you see that, you're just like, what in the world could have happened here? Yeah, that's you know? exactly what I was thinking is like, yeah. how do you even do that? You ripped a house, I guess, up and then placed it upside down, which is it, it's like unfathomable. I think at this point I didn't know what to expect, like what could do that. Yeah, I think they allude to it being destroyed by a sea king that's like a pet of the Arlong pirates and the right. sea kings. We saw a sea king earlier. It was a sea king that took off Shanks's arm during Luffy's whole backstory. But sea kings are basically just these gigantic sea monsters that traditionally live in the Grand Line. 
and they explained that Arlong and his pirates like tamed one and brought it to the East Blue with them. And they seem to use it as a weapon against people who don't pay them tribute. But quickly, yeah, so they discover this. They wind up getting pursued by one of the fishmen, and Usopp runs into that young boy from earlier and a new character. But he runs into that young boy who is trying to break into Arlong Park, as well as a new character whose name is Nojiko. And Usopp is ready, you know, you gotta hand it to him, as, as cowardly as he is, he, he always wants to step up and be a hero, you know, and protect people. And so he's ready to stand up and protect them. And Nojiko just instantly knocks him out because she basically reveals like, look, if you attack any of the fishmen, like your life is, is done, you know, because they don't they don't tolerate that at all. So she actually winds up saving Usopp. While this is happening is when Zoro gets taken back to Arlong Park, where he finds that Nami is there with the Arlong fishmen and reveals that she has been a part of their crew this whole time. So we are going to have to jump around a little bit just the nature of the storytelling in this part since everybody's kind of separated but now is when we go back to the ship with luffy sanji and yusaku this is another moment that's pretty funny though because this is when we get introduced to my voice just changed yes it did that's weird are you okay i'm okay your rib just healed nice (laughs) but this is when we actually get introduced to momu the sea king because I guess it gets drawn to their ship by the the food they're eating, which is immediately funny because you just know, like, Luffy's not going to stand for this shit. No. Like, he's not going to be okay with anybody trying to come up and take his food. And, yeah, as soon as it becomes clear, like, oh, Momu was was brought over here by the food, I think Luffy just immediately punches (laughs) this giant sea monster. And it's actually really cute. Like, the design is, like, really cool. I think it's a sea cow. Yeah. I guess, which is, it's really cute. Yeah, and then it's also funny because Sanji, you know, being the type who is, like, always ready to feed anyone who's hungry, <laughs> he brings the food over and then immediately, like, kicks it in the face and he says that, like, oh, it was trying to eat me. <laughs> and that's just not going to fly. <laughs> but it is funny that they, I mean, they kick the shit out of this thing without even being phased by it, you know? And it kind of shows us, you know, the the strength of the crew that like they've gotten to this point where even something like a giant sea monster just doesn't even make them blink, you know. Well, but good. Well, I think they're just so confident that Luffy is going to be well, able to, too. you know, like I mean, if I were on that ship, I would know. Okay, well, he's going to kick his ass anyway. Yeah. So we're good. But while that's happening, we go back to. Nojika's home where Usopp is finally waking up there is this this moment that's like pretty important where she's kind of chewing out that little kid um which Usopp is kind of like god damn like she's just a child but she's really like mad at him for being so ready to throw his life away you know like she just thinks that that's it's completely pointless and I think the quote that she says is something about how she knows somebody who's enduring like uh, unimaginable hardship while looking to the future, which we can kind of allude to, like, who we think that is. I, I think at this point... It's pretty obvious. Uh, yeah, like, I am I already know, I don't know what the reason is, mm. but I know that Nami is protecting this kid out of personal experience. But we, we kind of get the idea that she's talking about Nami, 
And this is when she reveals to Usopp that Nami is basically like her adopted sister. And they've been living here together um, this whole time. But she also reveals that Nami is an officer in Arlong's pirate crew, which Usopp does not take very well. But this winds up being like a pretty important moment because Usopp mentions how like he can't he can't imagine that Nami would turn on them after smiling so happily on their ship with their crew and everything. And Nojiko's reaction to that is kind of be like, oh, so she was happy. To think she was just after the treasure for herself, even after she risked her life to save my village. I don't understand. She seemed so happy with us. Yeah, she was happy. Huh, my sister. You know, so it's like you're getting fed these little crumbs of like the true Nami, like the backstory there and the fact that she was so happy with them. Um, I think it adds to, you know, we already had that hint when she was first departing and heading back to Arlong Park when she saw the wanted poster and stuff and she seemed very sad. It does seem like she really enjoyed being with the Straw Hats and was really happy with them. But at the same time, there was something hanging over her head, which we haven't quite gotten to yet, that um, makes things a little more complicated, a little more tragic for her character. It's also during all this that Usopp remembers that Zoro was captured. And he's like, oh shit, I should probably go and make sure he's okay. So it's it's at this moment that we go back to Arlong Park and see Zoro, who's tied up. And this is when Nami's revealing that, you know, she's kind of been betraying them this whole time. And it's, it's this interesting thing because you can see Zoro kind of... I feel like everyone has these different reactions to it. Like Usopp is immediately angry and it's like, I can't believe she would do this to us. Zoro feels like he's more on the fence where he kind of reveals like, oh, I didn't fully trust her this whole time anyway, but he's also not ready to like just immediately dismiss her. And that becomes more apparent because when they're discussing this, Arlong refers to Nami as someone who would... Um, she would even forget about her own parents' death for money. And that's the first hint at that part of her story. And you see, like, Nami's face immediately changes when he says that. Like, it really seems to affect her. And Zoro notices that, too. And he takes that moment to just suddenly jump into the water right behind them, even though he's all tied up. So everyone's like, oh, what the hell is he doing? He's just going to drown, you know, and they don't care. But Nami... She just can't let him drown like that. So she jumps in after him and saves him, which becomes a little moment where he kind of calls out like, oh, you couldn't, you're such a nasty pirate, you know, in this crew, but you couldn't let me drown, huh? Um, and I did, one thing I reflected on watching this is that the Orangetown arc almost kind of alludes to this happening. Because remember in Orangetown, she comes up with that whole plan to turn Luffy into Buggy when Nami comes up with that plan to turn Luffy over to Buggy, you know, to kind of trick him and and to act like she's joining his crew. Like, it seems like she's very familiar with this kind of treachery, and she's likely been doing this for a long time with all these different pirate crews. But you'll notice even then, remember, they, they are trying to be like, okay, well, then if you're one of us, then kill him. And they remember they, like, light the cannon... And she has to stop it because she can't follow through with that. This is another moment that's just like that. That feels like it's true to her character. Like they've already been kind of setting this up, you know. 
But yeah, and then after saving him, she just gets out of it by telling him, like, lock him up, I'll deal with him later. You know, and again, winds up kind of saving his life while still playing this double agent thing that she's doing. I will say that Nami's character, she is like she knows how to save face just enough. Like she's very good in high pressure situations. And I think it really shows a lot in these interactions in Arlong Park. Well, a lot of this, you know, we'll talk about later when it gets revealed more in depth. But it does seem like she has a lot of experience with this. So this isn't like her first rodeo. I I will say that this surprised me when I learned that she was part of the, the this pirate crew. Oh, yeah. But I, not for a second did I think. I had I, yeah, I yeah. knew like she was doing, like there was no way this was like willing and part of her personality. Totally. Like the, still even in this moment, I knew, especially when she saves Zoro. But. Um, but this is when the fishman who is chasing after Usopp shows up and reveals that, you know, Zor is not alone. There seems to be more people who are causing trouble here. So Arlong decides he's going to make a trip over to Kokoyashi Village, which is where Nojiko and Nami and all those characters live, because he says he has other matters to attend to. And so he'll uh, basically kill two birds with one stone here. When Arlong heads to Kokoyashi Village, we get a little more um, background on like what life is like on this island because the reason he goes there is to confront Genzo who's another character we're introduced to he's he's considered the headsman of the island which makes him like uh like I I didn't like dig into this but I mean headsman's usually like executioner right like some kind of lawman I think so I I I was just about to ask you like what is a headsman because I think you're right I think it is like an executioner should have looked in that, but it, he does get uh, referred to later as, as being someone who's kind of working with the government, but he it, he definitely seems like somebody who's kind of born and raised here, definitely part of the community. Um, I don't know what you thought of his character design when you first saw him, because he's like this older guy who's covered in scars with a pinwheel on his hat. Oh, yes. Yeah. But it seems like um, the matters that Arlong needed to attend to were someone was reported to be possessing weapons over here and that apparently is Genzo and part of Arlong's whole plan of subjugating all these little villages is that he's completely outlawed all weapons because he thinks like just possessing weapons is enough to like inspire people to rise up instigate you know that kind of violence so he's ready to make an example out of Genzo like he's ready to just uh, kill him on the spot in front of all the villagers just to uh, make it clear, you know, that his his rules are completely set in stone. And this this whole thing, Nojiko and Usopp are kind of watching from afar, and this winds up being an opportunity for Nojiko to kind of explain what's going on to Usopp, that these these colonies, they all have to pay tribute to Arlong every month in order to survive. It seems like he is amassing all this wealth to fuel this fishman empire that he initially is planning on conquering all of the East Blue and basically subjecting everyone in the East Blue to the same system. But from there, he wants to see the fishmen take over the world, which definitely feeds into... But he's uh, 
he wants to eventually take over the world. And there is an interesting moment where Usopp kind of reflects on like, well, wait, what would happen to Seer Village, you know, my hometown? And I thought that was like an interesting bit of a character moment to remember where he came from. And, you know, it gives these these stakes for all the characters that are slowly being developed. And in Usopp's case, it's the idea that if Arlong is left to continue pursuing these plans, his hometown of Seer Village and all those people he loves and cares for are going to be subjugated the same way that Kokuyashi Village was. So it immediately creates some stakes for Usopp there. So essentially what Arlong is doing, is he doing like a subscription plan for this? <laughs> I like I, that, that, is, that is like a total millennial way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, that's how I'm thinking of it. It's like... Yeah, subscription plan for your life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it... <laughs> <laughs> I think historically it goes deeper than that because oh, I think yeah. this is a thing that happened. But that is funny that <laughs> our millennial brains are like, oh, so it's like a subscription box. <laughs> and we get a brief reference to Nami freeing Zora now that everyone's like kind of left Arlong Park. She frees him and returns his sword to him and basically just tells him like to get the hell out of here. Back at Kokuyashi Village, you know, as Arlong is, is preparing to attack Genzo, and I think he does get some hits in on him. The villagers are all, like, fired up and ready to to fight back, and Genzo actually stops him and tells him, like, you know, if you wanted to fight them, you should have done it eight years ago. You know, at this point, we've already committed to this life, and we... And he he implies that, like, they have this plan of just kind of dealing with it, you know, accepting the hardship you know, and putting your faith in the future that someday somebody will save them from all of this. But Usopp, being one of the straw hats, when he hears this, he can't just let this go. So he, that's when he attacks Arlong from afar and makes it clear, even though he's like shaking the whole time and is like terrified, like he can't just stand by and watch this happen, which I think moments like this are really important to show, like, this is kind of what separates the Straw Hats from everybody else, that even, you know, somebody like him who's so afraid of confrontation and getting hurt, he just can't stand by and watch this, you know? But it is also worth pointing out that his attack did nothing to Arlong. So we're getting, like, hints at his strength, you know, because we're getting told a lot, but now we're starting to see that you know, that Firestar attack did nothing. And he gets so angry, he just grabs the house that Usopp is on top of and, like, flips it upside down uh, with his raw strength. And that part, go ahead. Well, I feel like Usopp here, he still gets an A for effort for trying. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it does take his attention away from Genzo, so Mm -hmm. it does accomplish what he wanted. But it is also interesting to point out that here we start to see that even among the fishmen, Arlong is kind of an outlier where there there seems to be something more driving his, his hatred and everything because the other fishman pirates are trying to, like, stop him and say, hey, like, hold on, like, we're getting money from these people. We can't just kill them all, you know, and they don't want him to go on a rampage and destroy everything like the other village because they see these humans as, like, a source of income, you know, so they're not as cruel as Arlong is, who Arlong is willing to just wipe them all out and doesn't care you know, it doesn't see the big picture as much, um, which definitely it seems to imply that there is some source to this anger. And I did want to point out, like, I think this might be interesting to talk about because 
you were not like like we don't get more backstory on this for a very long time. So you haven't seen anything as far as like the further Arlong backstory, because um, this this part doesn't really get explained in this arc. But there does seem to be something driving his anger and his racism toward uh, humans and his desire to take over the world. And it's it is interesting because it it on its face it's like almost comic book level. I mean, this is a fucking comic book, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like that kind of villainy where it's just evil for the sake of evil. But did you have any thoughts on like what might be driving this? Not at all. I just assumed it was evil mm. to be evil. Okay. <laughs> I that makes really sense. did. I mean, at this point, you know, I think the series hasn't gotten into too much complex like political stuff. It's more like around the edges, but it definitely starts to to creep its way more into the story over time. Uh, I think I would say putting a subscription plan to live is definitely very political. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's just taxes. It is kind of just taxes <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. Did you just have like an awakening yeah, moment? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> it's just taxes. <laughs> um, yeah, and so at this moment, Usopp's able to escape. He gets pursued by the fishmen. Nami shows up and sees, you know, the aftermath of what's happening. So yeah, at this moment, this is when Nami shows up to kind of see the aftermath of what happened. As Usopp escapes, he's pursued by a bunch of the fishmen, winds up eventually falling off a cliff very comically and getting captured by one of Arlong's officers named Chu, the kissing fish. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> was he a Pokemon? That's a, is uh, that his sound? I don't, know. I don't remember, <laughs> maybe. Maybe not, um, I might be thinking of a different character. You might be thinking of a Pokemon. I am um, But it's at this time we go back to Arlong Park and we see Zoro kind of sitting on the throne with all the vanquished fishmen around him, which is kind of funny that Nami frees him, gives him his sword, tells him to leave, and the next thing we see of Zoro, he's like taking everybody out and he's just like chilling. But yeah, and at this time, this is when we get introduced to Hachi, the octopus fishman who's fishing off on the side. I think he's like trying to cook food up for Momu. He seems to be kind of in charge of taking care of Momu, the sea king. Zoro, it turns into this like this weird encounter where Zoro pops over to see what's going on and Hachi is just like, who are you? You're, you must be a guest of Arlong. And Zoro's kind of like, yeah, you can say that. And uh, so it, it kind of turns into Hachi offering to transport Zoro over to Kokuyashi Village where Arlong is in a uh, giant pot. Did you know anything about like the significance of this? The, the pot that he's always using to carry people around? No, no, I don't think so. I had to look into it because I feel like I've seen this a few times in anime and it seems like octopus pots are like this traditional way that they capture octopus in Japan like you basically I guess put them on the bottom of the the ocean or wherever and the octopus will willingly like go inside of it to hide or to nest and then you just pull them back up oh yeah that's interesting I'll look more into that yeah it's weird but it is especially weird that he just has one of these pots that he like uses to to ferry people around and stuff. And this is kind of what I was saying about it almost being like these chess pieces that are constantly moving around. Cause it's like as Zoro leaves to go to Kokuyashi Village, this is when Arlong and the rest of them return to Arlong Park and see everybody's defeated. And he's kind of freaking out about this. 
But one of the people that was taken out reveals that this swordsman that they had was Roranora. Oh my God, I always have trouble saying his name. Roranora. It's fucking Zoro. They <laughs> they reveal that this is Zoro because Zoro, you know, he hasn't. He's already made a name for himself in the East Blue as this like really strong bounty hunter, which which starts to plant these like seeds that certain people are wondering if Nami has been like truthful with them. Because they start to think, like, well, did she hire this guy to come and assassinate Arlong? And it's, uh, I think his name's Karubi. It's Karubi specifically, who's like a stingray fishman who is starting to mistrust Nami at this point. Right, he gets, like, that little look in his eye. But he starts to think, like, that everything around Zora's escape was, like, kind of suspicious, you know? And this is also when uh, Chu shows up with Usopp. Uh, so they have another captive and there's like that funny exchange where they're ready to kill him. And he's like, no, no, if you keep me alive, Zora will definitely come back to rescue me, you know. But it's during like all the suspicion around Nami that Nami herself shows up to defend herself, you know, to, to keep playing this game and, and pretending that she's working with them. But it's, it is interesting because Arlong immediately is like, oh, I didn't doubt you for a second, you know, and it's because there seems to be something going on between Arlong and Nami that makes Arlong believe like there's no way that she would turn on us. You know, it's like he's got something on her, which hasn't been disclosed yet. But this also, it turns into another confrontation like Nami and, and Zoro, where Nami I think she realizes now with uh, with Usopp in custody, she's not going to get away with, you know, the same thing she did with Zoro because they're already questioning her loyalty. So when Usopp tries to escape using like a smoke bomb, Nami, she already, she's been with him long enough. She sees through it. She knows what he was planning and she appears to stab him in the stomach and he like falls into the water and there's blood everywhere i don't know what did what were you thinking during this scene the first time you saw it honestly like i already knew i knew she i i knew what happened and i don't know if you want me to say but like i like yeah i just you just I, tell i could just i just knew that i was like there's no way she actually stabbed him what whenever we get to it that i knew exactly what she did like i i could i could tell yeah but it, it is interesting. and i was happy about it Oh, of course. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because she reflects that, you know, he's about to basically ruin the plans that she's been enacting over the last eight years. And she knows she has to, like, really step it up to uh, prove her loyalty and, you know, protect, you know, what she's been working at this whole time. Um, However, Johnny happens to be nearby and he sees this happen and he's immediately just like, Holy shit, Nami, what the fuck? Like, he's just immediately zero to 100. Like, I can't believe she's done this. You know, is like ready to go back and tell everybody. And Johnny has the same emotional intelligence level as Usopp. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I feel like if any other character besides Usopp and Johnny had witnessed this, it would probably be a little different. Yeah, and I think it's around this moment when Luffy... Sanji and Yusaku finally arrive. They come crashing into the island because I think they they hitch a ride onto Momu, you know, like attach their ship to him. (laughs) 
So they go flying on the island just in time to meet up with Zoro and uh, Johnny. And so this is when Johnny tells them like exactly what he saw that like, nope, Nami's one of them and she killed Usopp in cold blood. And what are we doing here? Like we got to go. So this kicks off like a pretty important scene where everyone's kind of finally back together and starting to figure out like, okay, what are we doing next? Because like I said, we've we've been through a lot, but this is when Luffy first arrives on the island. And there is this, this interesting scene here where, you know, after Johnny tells him all this, Luffy, as usual, is just like, no, like, I don't believe it. Like completely just will not accept any of this. And Nami actually shows up at this point and is it like she has this kind of nasty attitude where she's like yeah like I did like I don't know why you idiots followed me here like I'm one of Arlong's pirates you know is like really laying it on thick like trying to really scare them off and you can see there's like people are starting to get fired up like like Zoro is pretty angry at this point Sanji of course he he, he simps so hard for Nami like he's he's still like white knighting and like standing up for her and Nami's just like really trying to push them off the island, getting them to leave. And Luffy's reaction is to just lay down on the ground and say like, I'm taking a nap. <laughs> and he makes it clear that like, he has no plans on leaving. He does not care what's going on on the island. Like he, he is a very simple person, like very simple, very direct. And all he's thinking about is I need to get my crew back together so we can get back to these adventures and that's it. Which only like seems to frustrate Nami more and she like runs off. So it is around here that um, Johnny and Yusaku finally decide like it's time for them to part ways. Like you could tell, I mean, they're not part of the Straw Hat crew and they understand the danger that's here, that they would be really putting their lives in line. I, I didn't really judge them too much for no. this you know they they're also bounty hunters right yeah so they they have their own ambitions and life that they got to get back to it all, it all yeah. made sense i wasn't angry about it sure but it is it is cool to see that zoro and sanji on the other hand like they kind of just sit down and are just like all right i guess we're staying here and like you know, and you have to remember Sanji, he joined their crew so recently, he hasn't even really had a chance to fight as one of the Straw Hats, but he's still loyal enough that he's like, if Luffy's staying here, then I guess this is where we're going. You well, know? I mean, be real, he's not going to leave because Nami is there too. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess it's not completely selfless. <laughs> um, but we get a, a quick scene here. This is when, this is again a moment that's like just a little bit of uh storytelling where a uh, navy ship is seen in the distance and the villagers all gr gather at the, at the shore because they're like, well, the navy's finally here to save us, you know, to rescue us from this. And we see that on this navy ship, it's this new uh, navy captain. I can't remember his name. It basically translates to pudding. It's like just just a weird throwaway guy who, who has heard like their SOS calls. And since he's new, and doesn't know like the relationships in the area he shows up to rescue them and when he sees Arlong Park he's like well we can't stand to just allow this uh this uh pirate camp to exist on this island so we got to go take them out and Arlong like doesn't bat an eye like he just sends his three officers out this is the three we've been introduced to 
Chew the kissing fish, who can shoot water like bullets. Um, we have Hachi, the octopus, and we have uh, Karubi, the uh, the stingray fish man. And we get a, a, just a quick scene that shows like just how strong they are because the three of them go and they just completely obliterate this um, navy ship and like send it to the bottom of the ocean. So it just further solidifies like how helpless that these villages are and the direness of their situation. Because they do mention that, you know, they don't believe they can count on the Navy to come rescue them. And this is when you kind of see why. It's because any any of the Navy people that, that would care about rescuing them, there's no way they can stand up to Arlong. Like, the only Navy people that are strong enough are going to be on the Grand Line, and they're not coming all the way out here just to deal with, like, this rinky-dink little village. Which gives us a little more insight into the politics and, you know, the state of the world. That it's very easy to just think of like, oh, the, the Navy, of course, they enforce the law. They'll come save us. But it's always a little more complicated than that. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more corruption. Yeah. And I think the introduction of the seven warlords of the sea also really solidifies this. That there are these complex and like corrupt relationships between the government and the pirates and everything and, and things are just not black and white. I did think it's funny that just before Usopp returns to them, there's like a fight between Zoro and Sanji, which is funny because throughout the series, the two of them definitely have like a rivalry. I feel like this is kind of where it starts, where Zoro is kind of questioning, you know, what to do about Nami and how she betrayed them. And Sanji is just like, don't you fucking dare talk about my Nami like that <laughs> and he even says like because because Zoro is kind of as he's questioning things Sanji mentions that like he sees the tears in her heart and he knows like there's more going on with this and everything which is silly but it also like you know it, he's not pulling that out of thin air he's not wrong you know like and Sanji is able to see that there's something more going on here that goes beyond his normal like simp brain yeah and and I'm 100% with Sanji here you know, when they're all talking about this. And yeah, and it's in this moment that Usopp finally returns and he reveals what happened, that Nami stabbed herself in the hand to make it look like she was stabbing him. And so she actually saved him by doing that. And it's at the this, this same time, tragically, that Nami makes her way back home to the house she shares with Nojiko and she just starts, like, trashing the place out of frustration. Well, at, at this point, she's even in a more complicated situation than where her story begins. Yeah, for sure. And you can see like that inner turmoil that she's dealing with. Right. And she even, she mentions to Nojiko that she's, she's having trouble forgetting about those fun adventures she had with the Straw Hats. And Nojiko does mention, I think right after this, we'll say now like, the, the term friend is like something that's so extra painful to Nami. Friends. That word means pain. It breaks her heart. Because she just hasn't been able to get that close to anyone up till now. Because she knows anyone that she is close to and that she would call a friend, they would just be a target for Arlong and his pirates because they have that kind of stranglehold on her but when you see her 
throwing this tantrum, you can see that there's it's it's really painful for her. You know, like that's that's definitely an under underlying current of this whole arc is Nami has been through so much trauma, so much pain for like these past eight years, and you can see how it's been creating such an inner conflict for her. And Nojiko, obviously knowing Nami better than anybody, she takes this opportunity to go down to where Luffy, Zoro, Sanji, and Usopp are now. And this is like her chance to explain what's what's been going on, Nami's whole backstory, with the hopes of making them understand so that they'll like leave. So before we get to the big flashback, which I, th- I think every arc kind of has its flashback sequence, you know, and this is a very big one for the series and for Nami. The thing that I wanted to point out before we get there, I think it's important to point out, because this is something that stood out to me the second time going through now, is that when Nojiko shows up to explain all this, Luffy, like when, when she's there and she's saying like, okay, let me break this down for you. Luffy immediately is like, I don't care. And if that doesn't get you to leave, I don't know what will. Okay, so tell us all about it. I gotta admit, I'm curious. I'll pass. Hey, wait! I don't care about our past. Where are you going, Luffy? For a walk. A walk? Do you mean you're not going to listen to this? Nope. And he just turns and walks away. And it seems like kind of callous, you know, until you think about it. And and the thing that, that I realized, which this is jumping ahead a little bit, but it's worth pointing out. Luffy never finds out her backstory. Ever. Because yeah. he walks away during the explanation. Yeah, you're right. And I don't think I ever really noticed that either. But I always interpreted this as like he doesn't need it. Yeah, so. exactly. Like that's and that's the thing is like it's the fact that he's just like I don't care. I trust her. She's my crew. Doesn't need to hear it, and he's still willing to put his life on the line to fight for her, even though he doesn't even know what she's going through. Like it just doesn't matter to him. And it's especially important because we've seen like Nami, Nami this whole time has been struggling so hard to protect the Straw Hats. You know, with what happened with Zoro and with Usopp when they were captured, with her trying to, like, put on this show to get them to leave. And it's because she really sees them as her friends and she wants so deeply to stay with them. She feels like she can't. And it's it's especially after, like, going through this and betraying so many other pirate crews, like, this this is the one you see as being the one that, like, is... is it's the thing that she struggles with the most. And uh, the other thing that's worth pointing out is right before we get her backstory from Nojiko, this is when Nozomi shows up. <laughs> and, you know, after those the previous Navy people got defeated, they're like, oh, okay, well, there's still more, you know, there's another Navy ship coming to save us. And Nozomi is the one who shows up on shore. So I, I think as a viewer, we immediately realize, like, mm, I don't think he's there to help you guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he immediately tells Genzo that he needs him to take him to Nami's house. So you know, like, something bad's coming. Um, But before we get to that, let's talk about Nami's backstory. So as a child, Nami would regularly steal books uh, from the bookshop in the village, she would get caught by Genzo, who would take her back home to her uh, her mother, Belmare, 
and you know try to chew her out but Belmerit who's her adoptive mother I thought it's funny because you can immediately understand where Nami gets her personality from. Cause oh, yeah. Belmare is, like, completely unfazed by this, like, doesn't care at all. And she even, like, makes some comment about, like, well, you know, maybe I could use my body to pay for those <laughs> books. And you see Nami just cracking up in the background. But it is... Uh, it is important to know that as soon as Genzo leaves, like, she immediately turns on Nami and is just like, what the hell's wrong with you for stealing? I think she, like, hits her upside the head, you know? So it's like she is instilling these these good values in them, but she has this kind of rough personality. I mean, she's just like Nami, you yeah. know? You, you can see it so clearly. Oh, yeah. The first time she's introduced, you're like, oh, that's Nami's mom, <laughs> for yeah. sure. But you start to get this idea that their life here at home, like, they seem to be very poor. It seems like, uh, like, Belmare has these tangerine trees, like, this whole orchard, which she uses for a lot of their meals. And I think she also, like, sells them to the villagers. But you have to imagine, can't make a lot of money doing that, probably. And Nami, she's been stealing like this because at this very young age, she became interested in, like, drawing maps and sea charts and stuff and she's teaching herself how to do all that and developing this dream of like charting all of the world's oceans you know and you see like when they when they sit down to eat like Belmere feeds her two girls Nami and Nojiko before herself and tries to play it off like very like I think we can kind of relate it seems like a kind of traditional dynamic you know in a, a poor household and <laughs> there is the funny thing where she says something about uh, her her diet keeping her looking youthful and Nami's like yeah but your hands are orange <laughs> she's <laughs> like shut the fuck up <laughs> but it, it does lead to a fight when Belmare is trying to give like these hand-me-down clothes to Nami and Nami gets frustrated and says like I want my own clothes you know and and it turns into this whole fight where Nami says like well you're not even my real family <laughs> You know, which feels like kind of the worst thing that you can say in this uh, kind of situation. And it leads to Belmare slapping her out of anger. But it is it is important to point out that, like, it does feel very much like, like, Belmare, this family seems very important to her. And you can tell that, like, she values this as, like, this is the family that they have built together. You know, that you don't have to be related by blood and... You can see how this kind of feeds into how Nami feels about the straw hats. You know, it's the, the idea of, like, family is what you make, you know, what you build. And you don't need those blood relations to be tight-knit that way. But she does, you know, I mean, she's a child. This is eight years ago. She winds up lashing out, um, and Nami says, like, she wishes that she was adopted by, like, richer people. Which you can tell is, like, the kind of thing that would cut very deep. Um, for Belmare, who's like really trying to provide for them. And Nami winds up running off uh, out of anger. Belmare sends Nojiko after them and says like, you know, I'll have a nice dinner waiting for you guys. Yeah, I can, I can see you're already getting very emotional about all this, which is understandable. Was there anything you wanted to say about this so far? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready there. I'm not yeah. ready for that yet. Oh, it only gets worse. I know. But it does feel like, like something I had really thought about this time is that like it 
it feels like they they treat Nami's personality. There's like this joke element to how she like, you know, really hoards money and is like very greedy and everything. And that's like a joke part of her character. But when you see her backstory, you can kind of see how that upbringing probably led to her value of money and nice things and everything. And even though it can be kind of a joke and make her seem greedy, you know, there there is that element of like, I think... I think you and I can both probably relate that when you grow up without a lot of money, it can lead to kind of hoarding behavior where you're like afraid of things going away because you know what that's like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's why I love... It's really hard to not get emotional. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It's really easy to relate to Nami in that moment because you can only imagine like the village seems very nice, but kids are kids. Yeah. And she probably got picked on for not having, like, nice clothes and stuff like that. And, like, that became important to her. And I think I actually love how it's a part of her character, how she just wants to embrace fashion and having a way to express herself freely and, like, needing money to do that. And I I understand that. I get that. Yeah, totally. And to further (laughs) the tragic backstory, (laughs) when she she runs off, she winds up uh, running to Genzo and she reveals to him in this like pretty heartbreaking moment that she thinks Belmare would be happier without them like she thinks that she is like a burden on her which is kind of getting to like the truth behind those feelings that led to that fight and everything but this is when we get a backstory within a backstory yes <laughs> where uh Genzo finally reveals you know how Belmare was like this troublemaker in the village and I guess she decided to you know, turn her life around a little bit. So she joins the Navy and goes off to combat and she winds up in this pretty nasty battle. We only get a look at like the aftermath when she's kind of accepted that she's going to die. Like she's just laying in like the rubble of this, this battle. When she sees Nojiko as a child walking by with the infant in her arms, which is Nami. And you find out that like they aren't related she just found nami i guess in the ruins and in that moment nami just starts like laughing and smiling really big and and you can see it like it moves belmare to feel like you know this is her second lease at life you know that she could become a mother to these girls and provide a better life for them and that winds up being like that's the thing that drives her to to save them and sail back to Kokoyashi Village. And she even, like, when, when she shows up, I think they all have a fever. And she insists that the doctor treats the two little girls before her and, you know, tells them that she's going to adopt them and make a family with them, even though the villagers are kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, are you sure about that? But she's, she puts her foot down and is, like, fully ready to commit to that. And so after after that explanation, you can see Nami starting to understand a little better. It's one of those childhood moments, you know, where you have to kind of grow up a little bit. And that's when Nojiko shows up and she's ready to go back home. But it's at this moment that someone runs through the village announcing that pirates have shown up. And we get our first introduction to this is when Arlong and his crew show up. I did, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a break in tone here, but I did want to point out Arlong had a pretty fucking dope fit in this scene. Do you, you know remember what? this? I don't remember it. You should pull it up. 
Okay. Yeah, we talk about it. He's, yeah, he's looking kind of like a mobster with like the big scarf and hat and everything. Yeah, this is uh, it's a choice. He is is very cool. He's got his little tattoo hanging out with his long ass trench coat. Yeah, I think it it definitely makes him look like a mobster or something mm-hmm. coming to shake them down. And a little fedora on top. Yeah. Which I mean, that is that is exactly what he's doing. This is when he shows up and reveals that everyone has to hand over a hundred thousand berries per adult, fifty thousand berries per child, uh, and I think they have to do it every month. Which makes me wonder: number one, like, what is the like the salary of a normal person in this village? Yeah, like, what is the exchange rate of berries to dollars? And, like, how much money are these people making? I would really like to look into that. Yeah, because it seems like an awful lot. Maybe in terms of yen, it's a little, it's not as much? Or, I mean, it's probably still a lot, but... Yeah, maybe it's more like yen. I don't know. But Genzo, he, he takes Nami and Nojiko into the woods to try and hide them during this whole thing. And there's also that, that sequence where they don't notice Belmare's house because it's like on the outskirts of the village. So they think like they got away from this because they know she doesn't have enough money to pay for all of them. Um, but just as Arlong and his crew are leaving, they see like the smoke in the distance from her house. So they head up there to see like who else is uh, in the village. So Arlong and his crew, they they head over. We get that, that sequence that shows Belmare still kind of a badass because when Arlong goes into her house she kicks him out and puts a rifle right in his face you know and meanwhile the villagers are all kind of gathering their weapons and getting together to to fight back well we get their first look at Arlong's strength and the strength of the fishmen because Arlong just bites right through the rifle and when the villagers show up Arlong he turns it around on Belmare and starts like torturing her basically before Genzo gets there and he tries to reveal that, you know, oh, the the placemats, because they see these these placemats set out for dinner for two other people. He's like, oh, you're making dinner for me and our friend, you know, to try and convince Arlong and his pirates that it's just her up here, because she, she reveals she has 100,000 berry, which is enough to cover herself. And I think it's the doctor of the village who's with Nami and Nojiko in the woods and basically telling them that you know, you guys aren't officially on the roster as her children, so this is your opportunity. Like, we're going to put you in a boat and send you out to sea in order to protect both you and Belmare because they don't know you exist at this point, um, which is also, like, pretty fucked up and tragic because, like, what are the two of these children going to do on their own, you know, in this little boat at sea? But they see this as, like, the their only option to protect them. So after Arlong gets the money from Belmare and is getting ready to leave, this is when Belmare, like, she just, she can't keep her mouth shut, you know, because she cares about her family way too much. So she tells him that, no, that money, that's not for me. That's for my two daughters. And this this becomes this, like, very emotional moment. I can see you're already getting kind of emotional thinking about it because Nami and Nojiko hear this and they come running out of the woods to greet her. Yeah, and it just feels like Belmare, like, she can't stand the idea of, even even if it's just to protect them, the idea of, like, disowning them and acting like they're not part of her family, like, she just can't do it. And she's willing to sacrifice her own life to preserve that idea of, of family and to make sure that they can safely live here, you know, instead of 
going off to sea by themselves. This tearful moment where Nami apologizes, you know, for what she said earlier, and Belmare tells her, like, to never give up on her dream, as Arlong, in the most, like, cold-blooded way possible, just takes his gun and shoots her. Nojiko! Nami! shows that like Arlong they're not playing around with this you know like it really gives us these stakes that if you miss even one payment that's all it takes and this is also it's important to note like the villagers they show up with their weapons they're ready to fight and Arlong is just like eh just get rid of them and the fishmen are just so much stronger than them that they easily subdue all the villagers even more tragically, they discover all the sea charts and everything that Nami had been drawing. So Arlong sees this as like an opportunity to make use of her. So he immediately like takes her and establishes that like she's going to draw the sea charts for them from now on. And Genzo being the great dude he is, he tries to step up and stop Arlong. And that's how he gets like all those scars on his body because they just brutalize the hell out of him. Is there anything that you wanted to say? Well, I mean, probably a lot. Yeah. Like, this this whole backstory for me, even when I first watched it, it was so emotional. It was so it's hard. It, I think not even just the fact that it's completely tragic. And I'm sure people are confused as to why I'm, like, <laughs> yeah. so emotional about this. But just, like, watching a parent die is just so hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I think when I first saw this, it was very, very... Whew, I apologize to anybody listening. Oh, it's okay. Um, it was so hard to watch this, and then watching it again was still just as hard and brought up all those raw emotions. And I just felt for Nami and Nojiko so bad. Yeah. I just... The scene is like, it's so heartless and it's so, it's so sad. Even though watching this makes me sad, I, I f really feel like it was this not only like punch in the gut, but like a way to like process and feel for someone else, even though they're mm. an imaginary character. Just, it felt like I was processing it like with Nami, which sounds dramatic. No, oh, yeah. I mean, but... all the best fiction, you know, it captures elements of real life and I think something Oda is so good at that we'll see in a lot of these major arcs is that like when he wants you to hate somebody you're gonna fucking hate that person you know and if he wants you to feel attached to someone feel emotion like he just he so masterfully is able to connect with these human experiences all of this, I mean, we have a little bit more to wrap up the backstory, but it just really solidifies, you know, the trauma and all the hardship that Nami's been dealing with for eight years, you know, in this way that's like so lonely and so selfless. And as it's like slowly unraveled and revealed, it's like you can't help but just love her character and also love the straw hats for standing by her and creating this connection with her. So to wrap up this this backstory, you know, as as everyone in the village is getting ready to go save Nami because even in the face of like this insurmountable threat, you can tell these I mean, you would hope that that a lot of people would be this way, but this these villagers especially as powerless as they are, 
they're just they can't accept that he he kidnapped this young girl who like everybody loved she's a troublemaker but you can tell everybody still took care of her and everything and so they're willing to put their lives on the line to try and rescue her because they can't just sit back and you know let this happen this is when uh nami shows back up carrying like this big wad of cash and and reveals that she's working with the arlong pirates now and she shows them like she has this tattoo of the arlong sigil and you know he's like bragging about all the money they're paying her but she's also like you know she's got tears in her eyes while she's saying it so you can see there's like there's pain behind it and everyone is like kind of shocked because they're like i can't believe like they just see it as like they know how she her relationship with money and everything and the fact that these are the people that killed belmare and she's taking money from them and working from that for them they can't process or understand that but the final thing that we get is that later on nojiko goes to belmare's grave which is on like this cliffside and finds nami there and that's when nami reveals that she had worked out a deal with Arlong where if she worked for them and saved up a hundred million berry that she could buy back Kokoyashi Village and free everybody. And so that's really what's driving her. That's really why she's doing this. And you have to imagine the burden that places on a child her age, you know, but she she took that on on her own, you know, all by herself. Which I'll say, like, really speaks to Nami's character and then how she was raised by Belmer is that it, like, even though it was such a short time, it, like, all led up to this, like, all of those traits that had been instilled over time. Mm-hmm. She uses this as a way to just save everyone. Yeah, and, and now is when we, we get back to the present. Nojiko makes it very clear that like she wanted to tell them the story in order to dissuade them from fighting to not only make them understand like there's no way they can stand up to Arlong it's the fact that Nami's been dealing with this for eight years and if they fight back they could wind up ruining you know those eight years of progress that she's been making you know because Nami's been putting her life on the line this whole time saving every scrap of money she could to save the village. And meanwhile, back at the the house, Nami's reflecting on how she, I think she has 93 million saved now, so she only needs 7 million more, and she thinks that, like, all it's going to take is one more voyage, and she'll reach that goal. And this is when Nizumi <laughs> shows up looking for the money, which this, this, it feels like it's like putting the dagger in and just, twisting it in your gut like really driving home you know the tragedy of all this because uh i think watching it it's pretty obvious from the get-go that nizumi was sent there by arlong like did you pick up on that watching it i don't know if i did at first oh yeah i don't i don't think so well he he starts looking around thinking that she has all this money saved there Mm -hmm. that she stole from pirates and so he's saying like well it came from pirates, so I'm not going to arrest you for stealing, but that money isn't yours, so we're going to confiscate it, you know, which, of course, makes Nami kind of freak out. She's, like, fighting back. Yeah, this is just typical government shit. Yeah. It makes me more angry. 
And Nami gets very angry because she can't believe. She's like, why are you focused on getting this money instead of saving us from Arlong? It is a very good question. Why are you so focused on getting all this money instead of saving us is a really good question to ask somebody. Yeah. And they're like, they're trying to dig up the tangerine trees, which are like, you know, this this thing left from Belmare. So Nami can't handle that either. But this is when Genzo is also there and he, you know, he's also trying to stop them. But at the same time, he's he's trying to keep Nami safe. You know, he doesn't want her to do anything that's going to endanger herself. But there is like a pretty heartbreaking moment where Genzo reveals to Nami, like this whole time Nami's been playing this part. You can see with what she did with the straw hats, trying to scare them off. And you can tell she's doing the same thing with the villagers acting like, because whenever she would come around, they would all like slam their doors and disappear, you know, like she's this outcast. But Genzo reveals like, oh, from day one, Nojiko told us about what you're doing. And they had decided to keep it secret and not tell her that they knew because they felt like if you knew that we knew, you would feel more obligated to keep doing this. You know, you wouldn't feel like you had the option to run away, which is just even more heartbreaking for Nami, you know, that like they were fully okay with sacrificing all of their lives if it meant Nami could be free. Well, I think that's just a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, Oda, again, very good at, at grabbing the nuance on situations. Oh, but I think the the big clues to start to make Nami realize like that uh, maybe Arlong isn't being truthful with her is that uh, number one, she says something to Nizumi about like, I don't think Arlong would be happy with you messing with one of his officers. And Nizumi's just like, I don't think he'd care, you know, and just keeps going. But then he also offhandedly says something about finding 100 million berry. And Nami's like, how do you know how much I have? You know, and, and Nizumi's just kind of like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, just kind of laughs about it. So she starts to be clued in that like the, the Nizumi and the Navy, they were tipped off by Arlong. So she's been pet- betrayed. And when they... Uh, well, this is also how Arlong gets the loophole of getting all that money back. We're, yeah, we're right? going to get to that. Yeah, because then uh, they find the money and Nami is like ready to fight for it. But Nojiko stops her and she winds up getting shot by Nizumi. Like she gets shot, she gets shot in the back, I think. And so after that, that's when Nami, realizing, you know, that she's been betrayed, she runs off to confront Arlong and see like just what the hell's going on here. And this this kind of really, it, it's kind of like the final nail in the coffin that, uh, because when she confronts Arlong, Arlong, he just plays dumb about the whole thing, you know? But at the same time, he makes it clear like, you know, well, if you, if you lost all that money, I guess you just have to start over. Tells her like, if she doesn't keep working for him, he's just gonna kill everyone in the village. And it just really between her learning all that and and reality setting in that like she's powerless there's like nothing she can do about this and knowing that like the village knows about their arrangement and they even though they're okay with sacrificing themselves like it just makes it that much worse that she would be turning her back on them you know so it really puts her in this this horribly tragic position where it's like she really there's nothing she can do. Like Arlong, he'd never intended to honor this deal 
you know, and he, when, when Nami leaves, he even tells him like, oh yeah, I'll let her go after she charts all the world's oceans. Like that'll only take a few decades. And it's, it's like, it's extra sad because, um, he's always said, you know, they keep bringing up that, oh, when it comes to money, like you can always trust my word. And he came up with this plan using this Navy general so that he doesn't have to get his hands dirty and he can still act like he's honoring their deal. Right. And all of this at the sole purpose for him to get his sea charts yeah. is using her. The final buildup, because we're really barreling towards a classic scene, which I think is considered to be one of the most classic scenes in all of One Piece. Because when Nami, she runs back to Kokoyashi Village, she sees that um, the... The villagers, they are all getting ready to go to battle. Because at this point, they have accepted that, like, Arlong, he's not going to play fair. He's going to always play dirty. And as long as they are trapped here under his thumb, Nami is trapped too. Like, she isn't free to leave or do anything. So they're, like, getting weapons together, getting ready to march on Arlong Park, thinking, like, they're completely fine sacrificing their lives if that's what it takes to free Nami. And of course, Nami's trying to stop them, but they have really set their mind on this. And you can see, like, that's just even more tragic for Nami. Like, she's about to really lose everything. So there's, there's the scene, the classic scene, where she is left all by herself in the village and is just so tormented and frustrated by the powerlessness in this moment. And she takes like a, a knife and starts stabbing the Arlong tattoo. And I, I distinctly remember, cause this, I mean, this scene still gives me chills every time I see it, but I remember the first time that we watched this together it was like, you know, the buildup is so brutal. I mean, you've been like, <laughs> really is. you've been in tears just like <laughs> remembering all this. And I remember when it came to that, that, I feel like that's when it really comes to a head when she's just in the dirt crying, stabbing this tattoo. And it's like, it's pretty violent, you know? I remember you looked at me and you were like, what are we watching? Like, this is horrible. Like, you were so like I was, I emotional. was a mess, yeah. And I remember, because I had, I had read it, I remember saying to you, like, hold on, like, this is what One Piece does. It breaks you down so that it can lift you back up. And right as I said that is when you see Luffy, like his silhouette pops up, looking down at, at Nami. And Nami is like telling him, like, I, I thought I told you to leave. And he's just like, yep, you did. He's like, I thought I told you, like, you can't beat them. He's like, yeah, you said that. And you can see Nami is finally at the absolute end of a rope. And she just turns to him with like tears streaming down her face and just says, help me. You don't know anything about this. You don't know what's been happening on this island for the past eight years. Nope, I don't. This has nothing to do with you. I told you to leave this place. Yep, you sure did. So leave! I told you to leave! Get out of here! Get out of here now! Go! Go away! Go! 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 <laughs> Luffy. 
course. That's what friends do. And that's it. And it's like this whole time has been building up. It's making me emotional. Like, it's it's talking so about it. emotional. And it's, it's so just, well done. I, I don't think there's a more admirable character in any media that is like Luffy. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, this is definitely the moment where I think you fall in love with. I mean, we've been falling in love with Nami this whole time. Yeah. But it's when you see Luffy's reaction that you really are like, that's my dude right there. <laughs> you know, and you can understand the loyalty that he inspires in everybody because this whole time she's been so mean and cold to them, trying to scare them off. Luffy's just been like, I don't care. I don't care. Like completely doesn't give a shit. And reminder, he doesn't know her backstory. He doesn't know anything that's going on right now. All he knows is that she's crying. And so when she finally breaks down and says, help me, he just immediately takes his hat off, puts it on her head and says like, of course I will, like yells <laughs> it out. And she also has this moment, like she reflects on all those times when she saw like how valuable that hat is to Luffy. And he just puts it on her head and walks away, you know, like entrusts it with her. And then we get another One Piece classic when Luffy's like walking toward Arlong Park, you just see like Usopp, Zoro and Sanji yeah. sitting around just like bros. And when they see Luffy coming up, they all get up and do like the serious walk as they're heading to Arlong Park. And you're ready, like they are going to fuck some shit up. And you are so ready at that point. Let's go. Right. This is so, it's so well done like everything leading up to this point because you can really this is kind of like the final climax of the east blue and so everything from romance dawn has been like building up to this moment and you see that like the stakes that are at play here like if they lose like not only are all the villagers going to lose their lives but arlong and the fishmen are going to take over all of the east blue like, they are really the last line standing between the East Blue and, you know, being under this iron fist of Arlong and his men. So there are these these really massive repercussions for this, and it also is going to uh, give them the chance to prove if they are ready for the Grand Line. Because the Grand Line's been getting built up this whole time as being this whole other thing that's so much more dangerous than anything they faced and it's like if they can't defeat Arlong here there's no way they're ready for that so the stakes are massive but they're fully ready to lay their lives down you know for these people which we can kind of quickly touch on because we've talked about the morality of the straw hats and pirates in this world and this idea that for them I think what Luffy is looking at is like hey, one of my crew members is crying right now and there's this super badass guy over there I got to beat up. And if I beat him up, it just proves that I'm like that much stronger and I am going to be the king of the pirates. And that's all he's thinking of. But at the same time, big picture, he is saving so many lives. Like he's unquestionably a hero right now, even though he would never see himself that way. And it's another thing that's so great about Luffy's character. So when they show up at Arlong Park, there is that, that funny moment, which also like offers a lot of buildup because um, we see Johnny and Yosaku are standing by the gate looking like pretty 
beat up, but they block the gate from the villagers and don't let them in. And they make it clear, like, when they found out, because remember, they left, they were, like, ready to leave. But when they found out that Nami didn't actually kill Usopp, they still got so mad, they marched off there to confront Arlong and them and just got their asses kicked. But they're, like, standing there like, okay, there are some guys coming right now who are going to fuck their shit up. You just need to stand back and let them do their thing. And this is when the Straw Hats show up and Luffy just, like, punches through the fucking wall and is, like, ready to fight. And that part, it's so funny because even with all the buildup of, like, how dangerous Arlong and his crew are, Luffy, like, he doesn't hesitate for a second. Like, he doesn't even know who Arlong is. He doesn't even know what he looks like. You remember? Because he shows up and he's just like, who's Arlong? Which one of you is Arlong? And... As soon as he finds out who Arlong is, he just immediately does his, like, gum-gum punch and, like, (laughs) knocks him into a wall, which, like, freaks everybody out. So as they're all panicking, a bunch of the fishmen try to attack, and this is when Zoro and Sanji step up and, like, fight them off. Because it's been established the Straw Hats are all about, you know, the one-on-one fight, and this is kind of how they can step up and help Luffy, because Luffy, ultimately, his job is to take out the enemy captain. That's it. So they're kind of there to like get everything out of the way so that Luffy can can fight Arlong one-on-one. All of this, I mean, we kind of touched on this before, but I just want to quickly drive home like this is so powerful setting up this point because even like Johnny and Yusaku, when they're holding back the villagers, the villagers are like, who are these guys? Like nobody knows who the Straw Hats are at this point. Like we're getting little bits of like people, they're starting to build their infamy, you know? But they're still very unknown. And Luffy hasn't interacted with any of these people, you know, because he's just been sleeping on the beach the whole time. So they're like, who are these people who are willing to, like, put their lives on the line like this? And, like, why are they fighting? And, like, it's either Johnny or Yusaku who's just like, they made Nami cry. (laughs) But why? That's what I don't understand. What reason could they possibly have to fight? Reason? Big Sis Nami was crying. Do they need any more reason than that to put their lives on the line? It's like, that's it. That's all the reason they need. And it shows, yeah, they they have this, uh, there is this friendship and this family bond among the Straw Hats already that shows how they are really willing to put their lives on the line for one another over anything you know like they will not stand by and let one of their crewmates be mistreated like this so johnny and yusaku tell the villagers who are kind of awestruck at this like they're only going to get in the way so just sit back and watch arlong is still pretty unimpressed doesn't know who they are just knows they're just some stupid humans some humans you know so they wind up summoning uh momu to take them out which this is also very funny because when Momu shows up, it's like this big terrifying creature, but it immediately recognizes Luffy and Sanji who just kind of look at it. And there's that part where it kind of turns away and tries to like sneak away. <laughs> like, like it's like swimming away, like all slowly. Arlong seems to, in Momu's eyes, he is scarier than the Straw Hat. So when Arlong is like, oh yeah, you're just going to walk away. Momu turns around and goes to attack, but I think it's funny because even when he goes to attack, you can see his face is kind of like, oh. I know. like he's kind of upset, like he knows he's going to get 
fucked up. Yeah, the way it's drawn is just there's so much emotion in this it's in this so sea cow's face, yeah. and he's so terrified and like reluctant to do anything. But, oh, but it's funny because. Because Luffy, he seems to get some kind of inspiration. So he's like got this new attack he wants to do, which involves sticking his feet into the concrete. It's the pinwheel. Yes. Yeah. But he... Which he, I just want to touch on. Yeah. This is so cool. I love this because mm -hmm. Luffy sees the pinwheel on um, Genzo's, Genzo's hat. And he's like, hmm, like takes yeah. that in. And then you, I, I, I think I, I realized the second time watching this yeah. that that's what he was doing. Because at first I was oh, like, yeah. oh, he just thought it was silly. But I think that this is so cool. Well, I think that's part of Luffy's character is that he acts like such a big child. So when he sees the pinwheel, he's just like, oh, man, that's cool as hell. <laughs> so he, the way he takes inspiration is to stick his feet into the concrete and like the whole time as he's doing this you can see momu's face is just like oh god like what are you doing and livy just grabs him and like swings him around like a pinwheel knocks out like all the other fishman pirates and sends him flying it's just it's so it's so fucking silly and it's like this this goes back to what i said before that there's so many little things being done between like making characters move here or there you know to do things this is just funny because it's like they have to build up the fight more so you got to get luffy out of the picture and this is like his way of executing on that is like now he's stuck in the ground <laughs> and uh, which is also a very luffy thing to do is to yeah. not really follow up on what your plan is yeah, because exactly. you know he didn't think well what am i going to do after my feet are in the ground you know oh, yeah. he was not thinking that and it's so on point for his character he like gets blasted with hachi's ink attack because he can't move and everyone's like like it goes from this big heroic moment to everyone being like what are you doing like why are you not moving like just getting pissed off at him and arlong's crew realizes this point like they're gonna have to take this seriously so they start like Splitting off, it becomes clear like Hachi is going to fight Zoro because Hachi's also a swordsman. Karubi is going to fight Sanji. Karubi's like, he's a master of fishman karate. And Sanji is our kind of kung fu guy on the ship. And then, you know, of course, Usopp isn't going to, you know, face off with someone like that. It's not really his personality. But it happens anyway because as he's trying to get Luffy out of the concrete, he like slingshots him back into Chu, the other officer. So Chu winds up chasing Usopp out of the village. And Usopp does get like one final heroic moment because Chu sees all the villagers gathered and is ready to attack them. And then Usopp hits him with a fire star to get his attention and leads him out of the village. In the final moment of, you know, showing how Arlong just, he, he doesn't have any respect for them. He just looks down on them so much. When he goes up to Luffy, he just reaches his hands into the concrete and like lifts this huge concrete block out with Luffy in it and just chucks it in the ocean. And it's just like, okay, he's done. Like, that's the end of that. Yeah, in the final moment, because we're going to have to cut this off now and get back to it with next week's episode, Zoro and Sanji realize like they need to save Luffy because, you know, as a Devil Fruit user, he's powerless under the water. But if they go into the water after him, the fishmen will have the advantage in the water. You know, they're faster, they're stronger. So they just realize, like, all right, we're going to have to just take them out as fast as we can and then go save Luffy, which is kind of where we're going to leave things. I did want to quickly, before we sign off, I think way too late that 
your your uh do you remember what you said about when uh devil fruit users are in water that like you thought that uh you you implied basically that like they if if a devil fruit user goes into the ocean they just basically get like frozen and yeah just... i think i was i was curious like are they just in the water and they can still breathe because they're supernatural or yeah. like are they just like like you said like frozen in time and i think that's really how i saw the devil fruit up until this point yeah. was like oh well what a horrible like catch 22 to this whole situation is that if you're in the water you don't die you just stay there forever but obviously that's not the case that's yeah. the way i perceived it in my mind yeah they can still drown i do i i to give you a little credit it did feel i remember my first time through it's like the pacing always feels different the first time because you don't know where it's going. And when Luffy was under the water, it felt like he was down there a long, yeah. long time. <laughs> so it starts to really feel like, okay, like, is he able to breathe? Like, what's yeah. going on here? But second time through, I think the pacing makes more sense. Well, yeah, there's more knowledge behind it. Yeah. But that's it for uh, part one of Arlong Park. Um, I think when we kick off the episode for next week, we have the big finale left, all the, the fun battles and everything, but we got the story stuff out of the way. Yeah, but before, you know, all of that, I do just, I know we're not doing like regular final thoughts, but I just, mm. just want to like stick a pin is, and I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about, you know, the significance of that part where they show the Straw Hat crew because Nami was crying and everything and yeah. all of that. I just want to say that the way the Straw Hat crew is like formed and how loyal and how everyone has their own part and like it's just this like you said like a friendship that's like family it so truly reminds me of your friends. Oh, yeah. It does. And it makes me emotional thinking about that. But like I I don't think we really talk about we don't really talk about personal stuff too much. I mean except for, you know, me crying about my dead dad. But I I think the way that the Straw Hat crew has this undeniable friendship between all of them, just like it is so how like you and your friends are. And it's yeah. really like it's really admirable. And and like the way like when I first started dating you, I don't want to go into too much here because we're trying to wrap this up. But like I was so accepted and welcomed in your friend group and even though you were all well established, knew each other so well. And I think it just speaks volumes to even though this friendship is a fantasy, I have I have seen this in real life with you and your friends. Yeah, I mean I have definitely been very fortunate in that regard. And it, it goes back to what we said earlier about the idea of family being like what you make you know it doesn't have to just be blood yeah i've definitely i've said plenty of times to you that i feel like it could have easily gone so different for me and i feel very fortunate to have found the friends that i have but um yeah that's definitely a big part of one piece it's it's that their their crew that they're building isn't just you know like they there's something that that separates them from the other pirate crews in the series and in that they they seem to truly be friends and luffy sees his crew as being his friends you know not just these tools for achieving his own goals um so that is definitely an important part of the the story and we get a lot of that built up in this arc when they're faced with their first big challenge facing like one of their crewmates and none of them like they all step up to the plate and 
accept the challenge. But I think that's all we need to talk about this week. Do you want to cover the social real quick before we sign off? Right. So you can follow us everywhere at Straw Hat Social Club. I mean, we're mostly on uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're on Tumblr. It's, there's been some traction over there. We're also on Threads. Yeah. And if you have any kind of comments or recommendations, anything, you can reach us at strawhatsocialclub at gmail.com. So, yeah, we'll be back next week with the second part. I think a lot of the big arcs like this, we're going to have to separate in the parts or else we're just going to be rushing through it, you know. So, as always, appreciate anybody who has listened up to this point. Yes, and and at this point, I do want to say it is so cool to see how many different countries are listening. Yeah. And it's it's just really interesting and and we appreciate all of you guys. Oh, One Piece brings everybody together. <laughs> so, yeah, once again, thank you for listening and you can catch us next week. I'm Todd. I'm Becca. And this has been Straw Hat Social Club.